Hi, I'm Ant Williams, business psychologist and Guinness World Record holding freediver. For the past two decades, I've been obsessed with a single question. How do the best leaders attract great people and build a culture that delivers results? This podcast is a record of the insights from my work with hundreds of leaders and conversations with experts in pursuit of the answer to this question. For the lifelong learner who wants to give their own leadership a boost, we reveal the universal principles that can be applied by any leader to drive consistently higher performance in their team. Welcome to the Leadership Deep Dive. Hi, it's Ant Williams here, and I'm joined by my offsider, Terry Condon. Terry, what are we talking about today? But I really want to discuss a little bit about how to take on really big challenges and even small challenges and succeed. Um, recently, you did an event for one of our bigger clients around, I guess, broadly this topic and resilience um, and, and adapting to change. And you got really good feedback from that, but also got heaps and heaps of follow-on questions. And for me, I looked at those questions and I thought, this is really, really good content. If these guys have got these questions, it'd be worth really digging into this. And it's hard to do in a, in a keynote to be able to address everybody's question, um, but we might be able to do it here today. Yeah, good call. I think from memory, most of those questions came around this idea of resilience or grit, how to stay grounded and positive when issues arise or conflict crops up at work or, or you know, you're dealing with lots of layers of change upon change. Yeah, and just getting outside your comfort zone. How do you do that? How do you feel comfortable being uncomfortable? Um, and how do you take on some of those challenges and I guess build, build a character uh, within yourself that gives you that level of confidence that you can succeed. Yeah, cool. So where do you want to dive into the conversation? Well, I'd be really interested to discuss, I guess, what you've learned in your career um, around freediving because that's really where all this is coming from, right? So your experiences taking on the challenge of, number one, the sport of freediving itself, and then number two, realizing that it actually takes a fair bit of effort to get good. Number three, how do you actually get to the point where you've got a world record? Oh, is that all? <laughs> well, look, I think the first thing to sort of, I guess, point out is that sport is such a different context than business. In sport, especially in a, in a more dangerous or fringe sport like freediving, like I think that the types of risks that you can take are quite big. But I also think that when you look at on that sort of more work front or business front, the risks might not seem as big, but they're just as important. So those small little things, those barriers that you're faced with every day, those obstacles, it might be, you know, how to, uh, how to have a difficult conversation with another team member, how to let go of your comfort and doing, um, you know, and swapping out a process from something you're familiar with to something that you're not. It could be just, you know, actually getting up in front of your team and presenting something. It could be any of these things that represent a small fear, a block that you've got to go out of your comfort zone to do well in. Yep. And, you know, we all know that saying, you know, step out of your comfort zone because that's where the, all the learning takes place. And it is true. That's why it's such an important thing to be able to do well. It just so happens that in freediving, you know, you put out of your comfort zone every single time you train, every single time you compete yeah. because it is so uncomfortable. And there's something in that ability to grow more comfortable with sitting in discomfort that I think has parallels across both sport and business. Do you think that that's just a matter of repetition where you just, you develop a, or you kind of desensitize yourself to it because you expose yourself to it? 
yeah. so many times. I, I actually do. I think there's an extent to that. So if you don't put yourself out of your comfort zone very often, it's always going to be hard. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you've got to go and jump, like take a leap of faith and do something that really extends you too far beyond your comfort zone because that puts you into a space of, of chaos and you know, real genuine fear and risk. I think it's more about just pushing the boundaries of comfort a bit. So, you know, that if... Uh, if you if you hate presenting, for example, that you just start with something small, like a small group team meeting, yep. where you find opportunities to be more outspoken, to have a point of view that you share, flex your identity a little bit. Is that what you mean? Just yeah. sort of yeah, flex, experiment exactly. a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because just recently I was doing a bit of research. We, we talk a lot about psychological safety when we do our trainings and we go in and we work with teams. And in doing some of that research, um, you and I both came across it. Uh, there's some evidence coming out that the brain doesn't really distinguish between psychic psychic pain and real-world pain. So I guess the courage required for, uh, to take some of those risks in sport, like the big risks that you take, it's no different to the, the, the same sort of courage that it takes for you to, to put yourself out there in a meeting, for instance, or maybe get up in front of a crowd and uh, give a presentation. No, sometimes I get more nervous with that stuff than I do go for a free dive. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so it's just perceptions of risk and, and, and extending those boundaries of where you're comfortable and where you aren't. Yeah. But I know that there's, the research also shows that there's massive benefit from doing it. Um, the, the people who regularly push themselves out of their comfort zone and learn how to adapt, they're usually more optimistic in their worldview, the more go-getting, they they tend to be more, not only mentally tough, but have a more positive outlook on life. And opportunities arise because of those things. Well, you you would have a broader perspective, wouldn't you? Because you've experienced more in your life. You haven't sort of stayed in your narrow narrow box. Yeah, yeah, so it makes sense completely. Well, studies have shown um, links between mental toughness and performance as well. Up to 25%, they say, of variation in an individual's performance can be explained by their mental toughness. Yep. Uh, I actually did my thesis on this when I was at university in Otago, and we found yeah, people who are mentally tough nearly always outperform those who, who you know, were not so mentally tough on a range of tasks. Um, very noticeable in sport, but I think you see the same pattern in business. Okay, but let's define mental toughness. Let's what is it? When you say mental toughness, what is it that you mean? Yeah, it's a good question because I think that a number of different words get bandied around. You get grit, yeah. resilience, yeah. mental toughness. For me, I like to just distill it down to grit, which yep. has a number of factors. It evokes, you know, these ideas of courage and, um, and ability to sit through quite a bit of discomfort and really push through when going gets tough. Yeah, persistence. Yeah. yeah. I, read, t- I read a definition the other day. It was... Um, Talent applied over time. Yeah, talent applied over time. Because I, myself, my background working with athletes, I came across heaps of talented people, but only a few of them would persist, like persist with applying that talent. And some were really inconsistent with their inputs. They got inconsistent outputs as a result. Yeah, so in freediving, I have the wrong shape. I have a small breath hold compared to others. I have small lung size compared to my competitors. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I do. I reckon I'm disadvantaged. But no, really... but explain how. How are yeah, you? Yeah, because uh, so to do well in freediving, the ideal shape is someone who's really tall and narrow. It's like a Malibu surfboard versus a shortboard. The Malibu is always going to travel faster through the water. Okay. Whereas I'm a bit shorter and I'm a bit more barrel chested. And it doesn't mean that you get bigger lungs. Um, if you're tall, you get longer lungs, larger lung volume capacity. 
So I'm always competing against these tall, skinny people who have a real advantage. And, and think, when was the first time someone told you that and you realized, hang on, I'm not actually built for this sport? I recognized it really early on because all the people kicking my ass were tall <laughs> and skinny. And I was like, there's something in this. I don't think I have What's the right shape. <laughs> and then it was empirically proven after that. that yeah. yeah, I don't have the right shape for freediving. But yeah. I firmly believe that, that with mental toughness in my sport, you, I will consistently beat people who have far greater natural talent. And it is because of mental toughness. It's because of how I turn up, my mindset when I turn up to competitions. I believe that I've already won those events before I arrive. And that's part arrogance, possibly, but it's also around what I'm willing to put myself through in order to well, get Well, it's the also result. the evidence that you've accumulated over the course of your life, right? Yeah, lots of mistakes and failure and freediving and getting my ass kicked mostly. But yeah, over but you, that time... You'll have a sense of progress. Yeah, you'll, you'll you get know. a sense of progress and, yeah. and you figure out some of this stuff along the way. Mm. But I think if you really distill down what is grit or mental toughness, then there are four key elements, um, the four C's, if you will. So there's challenge, the level of challenge that you're willing to take on, that you're willing to accept, and whether or not you perceive those challenges as opportunities or threats. So if you're on your toes or on your heels, basically. Yeah, yeah if you lean into challenges or you pull away from them. Yep. The second C is control. And that's the extent to which you can manage your emotions as you go through difficult challenges. Um, I've been in, out um, with base jumpers before they jump off suspension bridges and I kind of watch how calm they are and the sense of control and poise and just almost lack of emotion. It's, it's, for me, it's horrifying because my heart rate's just beating through the roof. But What were you doing? You know, I was just observing them, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't jumping. But yeah, it was amazing, that level of control. And the third thing's commitment. So the extent to which you make promises and keep them around your goals um, and, and it's like the thing you were alluding to before about persistence with the task. Yeah, well, that's where you start to accumulate that evidence, right? Because I, I held my commitment to myself yesterday. And the more I do that more often, the more of that evidence I accumulate, and I start to shift my identity. And I say, well, I am that kind of person. I agree. I think the last one is confidence. And for me, this is a huge piece of the puzzle, which is that ability to believe in your ability to cope with whatever comes your way. People who are really mentally tough have this in, you know, in spades. For me, I see it's what separates the top performers in freediving from the underachievers is that ability to just go, oh, I'm just going to put myself in this difficult situation because I know that I can cope with whatever comes out. And it's almost like those first three sort of create the fourth one, isn't it? If you have really good levels of challenge, control, you have that sense of control, and then you've got a good, I guess, a history of success with commitment, then it's inevitable that you will find some confidence. I, I believe so. But you've got to remember, talent doesn't make you gritty. You've got to work for the stuff. You've got to really just chip away at it over a long period of time to build those levels of grit and resilience. But what about... So that all makes sense, right? They're, they're kind of like the building blocks of you know what we're calling grit. But for someone who deals with, I guess, a level of nervousness or anxiousness around putting themselves out there and um, doing something outside of their comfort zone, what advice would you have for them? Like, where would they start? Yeah, I think that's a question that I get asked a lot by stage performers, people who are going to go and talk for like TEDx or ballerinas. You know, I often find myself having this conversation. And I think the key place to start, and I am probably a bit biased with this, but I believe that this, the, the real clinch pin to all of this is going back to the thing that controls 
and centers you as an individual, and that's your breathing. Your posture and how you breathe will often dictate the mindset that you adopt. So rather than thinking about um, brain to body, where often we're told if you want to relax, if you want to be able to perform on demand, then tell yourself to relax. You know, come on, relax, relax, relax. And, we, and it's kind of this brain to body thing. But actually what's far more powerful is body to brain. So if I have, you know, if my shoulders are up here, high up to where my ears and my, my neck's tense and my jaw's locked and I'm breathing shallow, what's it telling my brain? Something's not right. It's telling me, telling my brain I'm stressed and I'm yeah. tense and, and, I, and I need to flee this environment, you know, fight or fright. But if I'm able to go into a difficult scenario or a threatening scenario and I'm able to relax my posture, slow my breathing, breathe from my diaphragm, my belly rather than my chest and keep my shoulders still, then that sends a powerful signal directly up my brainstem to the lower part of my brain to say, I've got this, I'm in control of this. And, um, and, and it actually enables me to access parts of my brain that otherwise would get shut down because the emotional side of my brain wants to just trigger this kind of fight or flight. Whereas if I stay really relaxed, it actually gives me access to my cerebral cortex, which enables me to function in a far better way. I mean, have you ever had that situation, right, where you get up in front of an audience to say something and you've rehearsed this thing over and over, you get up there and it's... <laughs> and you can't even find your first sentence and you're like, what is wrong with me? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> how, did you, how did you respond? Well, I normally just go for a walk on the stage and pretend like it's all planned <laughs> until I kind of calm down and catch my breathing back yeah. again and can yeah. find my rhythm. And once you do that, then your brain relaxes and you're able to access. All of a sudden, there it is. You know exactly what you've got to say. Yeah. So that's that thing that's happening, right? If you can control your breathing, that is the start point to being able to control how you will perform under pressure and is how you a, deal with anxiety. Is there a practice or a process uh, that you know and use frequently or that you teach even um, that can help you know, with somebody who comes up against this anxiousness, this nervousness frequently? Well, I think you need to retrain how you breathe for most people. So actually, if, um, what I'll do is in the show notes for this podcast is I'm going to leave a link there. So if anyone who's interested in, in, in actually really refining how you're breathing and getting back to some correct breathing techniques and patterns, click on that link and it'll take you through to a short video that we've created that will show you how to use these techniques effectively. That's good. But you've also, so we've sort of discussed, I guess, the physiological side there of fear and anxiety, but mentally, how do you get on top of the narrative sometimes that are overtaking your mind um, that cause you to lose optimism and, and lose hope in the face of challenge? I use a technique called reframing. When I started out freediving, I was diving in New Zealand with people that didn't have a lot of experience. And every time we went diving, it was all about the fear. Mm. So they'd say to me beforehand, and how far did you go to go down today? I'd go, today I'm going to go to 30 meters. I go, 30 meters? Oh, man, that's hectic. That's mm. so deep. Well, I hope it goes okay for you. And, yeah, I'll be back at there at 10 meters to sort of help you at the surface. But, yeah, good luck. It's super dark down there. It's a cold day. It was all around fear. Yeah. And then as I swim down, I'd be going, do I feel like I could do this dive today? Yeah. Um, it feels like something's going wrong. I don't feel myself today. I mean, Did I take enough super, air off the surface? That's so scary. Yeah, your brain's sabotaging you the whole way down. Yeah. In fact, I even remember one time I got down to 30 meters and my brain said to me, you're dying. Yeah. Right now, you're dying. 
And I really panicked and, and rushed back to the surface. So what it taught me though, is that actually that voice on your shoulder, that negative voice, that internal dialogue can be your own worst enemy. Mm. That actually you need to be able to, when, those, when that voice kicks in and gives you that negativity, you need to be able to stop it and reframe it. In fact, here's a technique called reframing where you go grab, um, grab like uh, open a, a workbook and on the left-hand side, write down those things that your brain says to you that are really negative in those times when you're under pressure mm. or feeling overwhelmed. What's, what, what's that voice saying? It might be, I can't do this or um, I, you know, I'm so anxious I just want to leave or get out of this environment. Whatever they are, write them down on the left-hand side. Then in the middle of your workbook, I want you to write the word STOP in capital letters with an exclamation mark. And then on the right-hand side, I want you to write the response. What, what you want to replace each one of those statements with. Oh, yeah. Simple. It, it is actually really simple. Yep. But it takes quite a bit of practice so that every time then you're doing that, uh, that activity that makes you anxious, that you, when you hear that voice say that particular thing, I can't do this, I'm useless at this, then you go, STOP. And then you replace it with this other framing. Actually, I have got this. I've been really working hard on this around whatever the thing is. And replace it with that short, sharp, um, emotive soundbite that you tell yourself. And after a while, it will become automatic. I believe that. I definitely buy that because um, I've been doing that in a certain sense um, with myself with surfing. So I recognized that I had these kind of destructive narratives that would come to me. Right when, I would, right when I'm in the spot where I'm, I'm about to catch the wave and it distracts me. And so I'm not paying attention to the things I should be paying attention to. So what I said to myself was, I know when I, do, when, I, when I pop up and I'm in the right position, I'm doing two things and I'm doing two things only. I'm popping up fast and I'm staying really low. And so that is all I'm going to tell myself whenever I'm in the right position to get a wave. And I'm going to say that to myself as I'm catching the wave. And for every time that I do it, it's always better. So what you've just described is actually a form of mindfulness. Mindfulness is that ability to stay present in the moment as it's taking place, not to be worried about the future, not to be obsessed about the past, but to just be currently present in what's happening to you in the moment. So if you're able to do that by, by breathing and slowing down the breath to stay in control and feel, um, yeah, that you're very centered in that situation. Plus, you're able to control your internal narrative and stay really wholly present in that moment. Then that's actually practicing mindfulness, which we know delivers much better outcomes in terms of your own performance. Mm. And being able to do that on demand consistently, boy, that, that's a powerful life skill to learn. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because I guess I um, came up with it as a strategy because I'd heard about and read about a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, where... This tennis coach was basically just old and sort of over it and got sick of talking to the people he was coaching. And instead, he said nothing and just observed what he saw. And what he started to do was illuminate to these people, you know, what they were thinking, what they were doing, like what they were actually doing wrong at those certain points so they could see for themselves what he was seeing because they weren't seeing it and they weren't feeling it because they were distracted in their own mind. So their awareness was very far off. And the more he actually just described what was happening, the closer their awareness got to reality. And then the more they self-corrected. So then it was almost like he said, all I had to do was point out and show them where the interference was. That's the language he used. Like and he's like, now you understand the interference. And that's where I got it from. I'm like, what's my interference here? 
Yeah, but most of us aren't self-aware of what our, of what that internal voice is saying. That's why that reframing technique can be so powerful because it forces you, after you've gone through um, a challenging situation, to really recount what that voice is saying and then come up with an answer for it, come yep. up with a replacement. And it, um, it helps build that self-awareness, but it also helps improve your performance. Yep. So if you were listening to this now and you were thinking, great, I've learned some pretty cool stuff here. Where would you start from an application point of view? Like what would you, what little project or what little experiment would you do first? Well, I think it's going to be different for every single person. So I think it's about finding those things where you want to experience greater success, where you've maybe even given yourself a bit of an out by saying, oh yeah, but I'm no good at that. Or I, I don't like speaking in front of others or I don't like um, conflict, so therefore I avoid it. Mm. Whatever it might mm. be, is then questioning that. You're going, well, maybe it would be super helpful for me if I was able to have conversations that are sometimes a bit awkward or difficult, but building my skill in it. I'm going to look for an opportunity to, to actually stay present in a conversation rather than being passive or, or avoiding a conversation that I know would be so beneficial if I had the courage to have it. But find one that's not too massive, right? Just, yeah. Just a little one that kind of stretches you a bit and build up some experience and confidence with it. Like low stakes. Yeah. Low that stakes. Somewhere you can get a quick win and build on the win. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that requires a healthy level of self-doubt around some of the narratives that you've told yourself about who you are too, doesn't it? It requires you to sort of say, perhaps I've been wrong about whether I am a poor public speaker. Yeah. Maybe. You can learn anything. Yeah. So I think if, if you've got, when you think about um, change you know, and some of the narrative that comes with that, I'm really good at that. I could be terrible at this next thing. Or oh, um, I'm worried about personality conflicts with this person or I don't want to shift out of this team. Or I feel like I, I could be, if we restructure, I could be at risk of losing my role. All of these things present challenges to us that we establish an internal dialogue around. So I think it's about finding those things where you go, actually, you know what? I am more flexible, I am more adaptable, and I'm gonna prove it to myself. And then finding a chance to exercise that, that muscle. Or even just asking the question and opening the door to that possibility. What if I was wrong? And what if I actually was good? What would life look like for me yeah. if I was wrong and all of a sudden I could do this and I could do it to a level that I didn't, deem, that I didn't think I was capable of? But you know what's required to do this? optimism yeah you've actually got to like like one of those four c's being confidence to believe that you can handle it you need that optimism to go you know what life would be a whole lot better if i actually got my head around this and i'm going to give it a go and just you know be optimistic that you can learn this stuff you can be good at it you can learn how to have more grit it just takes a bit of effort and a bit of time there are a lot of people that think you're either optimistic or you're pessimistic and that's how you're wired do you agree uh, to some extent, I do, but I, I don't think you could use that as an excuse. Why not to um, to exert more optimism in how you and how you think? I think it's okay that you can be someone who's naturally critical of things or risk adverse of things, but still challenge yourself to expect more mm. and 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 try to get more out of your own life through you know through pushing yourself more in different areas of your life. Yeah, it's hard because we're sort of. It's almost like we're trained. I feel like we're trained to fear and avoid failure at all costs. You, yeah. know? Um, you go through the whole school system and you know, a failure is something that you don't want to be accumulating. But in actual fact, in our actual lives, if we are putting ourselves on that edge and we are failing more often, 
then our, learn, our rate of learning goes up, which means that our rate of success has to improve, has to increase. It does. And so my advice to anyone listening would be find a challenge that's worthy of you, of your effort, and just start extending yourself towards it. You don't have to go for big, you know, massive challenges or, or take on big risks. Just find something that you know would move you closer towards a great goal for yourself. Mm. Uh, and that will help you build a level of mental toughness and grit that maybe even moves into other parts of your life in a really positive way. There's a great book called Ultra Learning and it was written by a guy called Scott Young and what he's done is he's really interrogated the learning process and said, do we actually understand how to learn? And one of the things he says is you've got to make something like this a project and you've got to make it a discrete project with a start and a finish. Then you have to have a scope for that project where you rule out certain things and you chunk everything down so that you can see certain milestones along the way. So, you know, if, let's say, for example, I want to run 10K. Well, what's my first milestone? I, had, I, I did one run for that yeah, week. Yeah, just really good, simple increments. Yeah, yeah and yeah, tick that one off. I got to 1K without stopping. That's my next tick. Um, chunking it down in that way really helps us, I guess, build or, or, or accumulate that history of wins and success that we can lean on when things start to get a bit tough and we start to come up against our real edges. Yeah, I think it's a great, that's a great piece of advice is just find those stepping stones and take small increments towards a bigger goal. Okay, so looks like we've covered a fair few of those questions we talked about in the beginning. And I feel like there's some really good action steps that people can take. But how would you summarize all that? What's the key point you want people to take away from this podcast? Well, I think the first thing is that anyone can learn how to have greater levels of grit. It just takes time and practice and you've really got to want to do it. But it is a learned skill. I think just remembering that you've got those four different areas, be open to more challenge. Look for opportunities to extend yourselves a bit more and, and believe that you can be more flexible and adapt. The second thing is then when you're placing yourselves in those uh, new opportunities to look at your breathing, look at your posture and see if you can exert more control over your emotional state. So it might be that you count from one to 10 beforehand, whatever it is, just learning how to Trust yourself and you know, manage your emotions. The third one is commitment. So you're actually telling other people what you're trying to achieve and setting a goal and communicating it to others and commit yourself to, um, you know, to developing like that. And then the last one is just then go ahead and trust yourself. Believe in your ability to handle whatever comes your way. So I'd also encourage people to click on that link and maybe go and watch that video on some breathing tips. And yeah, I think it's just, you know, don't wait to be perfect. Just get out there and have a go with this. I'd absolutely echo those statements around the, the practice, that breathing. It's simple, but very profound when you know how to do it correctly and you can have it as a tool in your toolbox that you can pull out at any point. If you're responsible for learning and development at your company and you'd like to know more about how we help fast growth firms deliver high impact training for their leaders, then click the link in the show notes to get in touch.